It's Thanksgiving, so I think it's appropriate to, to give a little thanks this morning. First, I want to thank the Lord. Uh, this has just been an incredible thing that He has done. It's been an exciting thing that, that He has done. And I think all of us are just overwhelmed with, with God's goodness, with His greatness, uh, and how He's working at Woodland Hills. Uh, one Saturday in January, my wife and I had a vision to start a church, to plant a church. To be honest, we were kind of tired of playing church. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but there are places where you play church. And we said, Lord, we really have a desire to plant a church where, where the Bible teaching is going to be real and, and relevant to where we're at in life. We want to have a church where people can find restoration and, and healing, but also find their spiritual gifts and be plugged into ministry. We want to have a church where our people have a caring and a compassionate heart for people. Uh, those that don't know Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior. And we want a place where we can worship you and lift you up. And, and it's just really exciting this Thanksgiving, six, eight months later, ten months later, to see how God has pulled all of that together. So I want to thank him uh, for his great work. I also want to thank my wife. Where, is my wife around here? Is she in the back? She's in the back. Yeah, she has been a, a great woman of faith, taking great risks and it was her birthday on Thursday, so I'll be sure to say happy birthday to her. She's uh, 30... Uh, <laughs> and finally, I want to thank you. Again, uh, those of you who have stepped to the forward, have entered into the, the ministries of this church, have said, I'll volunteer. Those of you that are putting up with some rough edges, uh, with some, some programs that maybe aren't all that they will be in a, in a few months from now, I just thank you for for being adventurers and, and stepping out in faith. And I really believe God has great plans for this church. And, and I think we can all this Thanksgiving just give him thanks for, for what he's doing here. Well, let's pray together. Lord, this morning we ask your spirit to come again and to illuminate your scripture, to help us understand it. Lord, free me from any sort of performance things or measuring up things or anything like that and just speak through me. I'm just your vessel, your instrument. Meet us here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. As Greg and I talked over the preaching schedule for Behind Enemy Lines, so oh, this is nice. <laughs> the next thing we're going to get is a wireless mic. You know, we were talking about, okay, Behind Enemy Lines, it'll be on spiritual warfare. Okay, Greg, you get uh, you get warfare uh, praise warriors, you get prayer warriors, you know, and and it's exciting. And and then we got down to me, you get warfare fellowship. You know, it's an oxymoron, isn't it? Warfare fellowship. You know, two words that don't go together. Jumbo shrimp. You know, postal service. <laughs> President. Uh, no, I won't even. Nah. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what do you say about warfare fellowship? How to defeat Satan with 12 jelly donuts. I'm coming after you. You know, what do you talk about? You know, I think for whatever reason, when I hear fellowship, that's what I think of. And it's been reduced down to something that's uh, church dinners or, or coffee and donuts in the, in the foyer. And, and as I looked at this this week, I really discovered that God had something much greater in mind, much more involved, much more powerful than a potluck. <laughs> Fellowship, as God described it in the New Testament, is a supernatural bonding 
of God's people together. It's, a, as we read before, of becoming a literal body. As much as my hand is connected to my arm, is connected to my body, that's how much Christians are connected to one another. You know, we say brother Paul or, or sister Mary or whatever, but, but God's idea is that we do become a literal family in Christ. That's something supernatural. It's a lot more than just this, a human friendship. The, the New Testament word for it is koinonia. That means to share in common. And if you look at the first uh, few chapters in the book of Acts, you see those early Christians shared everything in common. They shared life in common. They shared crises together. They shared uh, all their possessions. If someone had a need, they were right there for someone. Uh, they also ate together. Third Thessalonians has the first known mushroom soup tater tot casserole recipe. Uh, so if you want to look it up, it's right in there. But these people met together. <laughs> Boy, I'm on a roll today. Um, <laughs> they met together in the temples. They met together in homes. And, and see, the thing is, none of this was forced. It all came natural. They wanted to share their possessions. They wanted to give to one another. They wanted to meet together. They enjoyed that. That's what God had in mind when he was thinking of fellowship. Here's a great truth. When it comes to spiritual warfare, God never intended for us to face the struggles, to face the battles by ourselves. When it comes to living in an imperfect world, in a fallen world, in a, in a world where things, terrible things happen, God never sent us out as lone rangers. It'll be good for you. Yeah, go take that. He doesn't do that. God is a God of relationships. And when we become Christians, we enter into two supernatural relationships. We enter into one with God through Jesus Christ, but we enter into another with our fellow Christians through the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I need that sort of koinonia in my life because I can't bear the burdens of life all by myself. This, this past week, uh, it was a very busy week. We're getting ready to move my son James uh, has surgery tomorrow. He's having tubes put in his ears, and he'll only be under anesthesia for a few minutes, but he's still worried about it as a parent. And there's just a number of things that had piled up, and I, I felt like when I prayed, it bounced off the ceiling. I don't know if you've ever been there. And, and I just said, ah, I'm dying here. And so I called up Marlene Lee, who's on our prayer ministry team, and I said, Marlene, would you pray for me? I'm having a terrible week. And right on the phone, Marlene was able to, to pray, and, and we spent a few moments talking together. And I'll tell you, it is so good to know. Marlene, I didn't even know three months ago. But it's so good to know that in Christ we have those sorts of friends that we can talk to and we know we're not going to get judged, but we're going to have unconditional love. And, and, and to just share that time and her support and her encouragement turned my whole week around. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. That's what God is talking about. I heard a little, about a little girl that woke up one night, had a terrible dream. Her mother went in. She quieted her down and as she was comforting her, she said, Don't worry, it's going to be okay. Don't forget, Jesus is with you. And the little girl said, Mom, tonight I think I need a Jesus with skin on. And uh, that's, what, that's what fellowship is all about, is being Jesus to one another. Marlene was my Jesus with skin on. It's a supernatural thing. Jesus said to his disciples, Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus was saying this. In the world out there, 
relationships are a lot of times based on what people can get out of it. You do this for me and I'll care about you. You do this for me and I'll love you. As long as you perform right, then I'll care about you. Jesus says, in a Christian community, if you love unconditionally, and you're in a community of people that care about each other genuinely, you're not going to have to say anything to outsiders because they're going to look at you and they're going to say, man, there's something different. They must be followers of Christ because they are loving in a way that we don't know. And if you look through the New Testament and, and the way it describes the Christian community, about 60 times it gives instructions on what we're to do to one another, to love one another, to share with one another, to encourage one another, to build up one another, to be patient with one another. And you see, that's what God is talking about. That's the kind of supernatural community that God wants us to be and to shape us into. I think that people are desperate to be in a community where relationships can be genuine, where they know that someone really cares about them, where they can have unexpected friends, put their arms around them and pray with them and give them a gift of mercy. I really believe that people are longing for that. What makes me excited about Woodland Hills is I've already had people that have said, boy, I've found so many good friends here. I've found so many people that really love me. But I think that, that there are still a lot of people out there that are still looking for what we've found. I talked to a lot of people when I was putting the church together about why don't you go to church? And I was just being honest, what is it about church that has you know, caused you not to come? And one woman was very, very blunt. She said, 10 years ago, I would go to church every Sunday. I took my kids to church every Sunday. I was there. I was, I was a regular attender. But I got in problems with my marriage, and I got divorced, and everybody in that church turned their back on me. They wouldn't talk to me. They quit coming over. And I said, if that's what church is all about, if that's what, what love is all about, I've had enough of it. And I vowed that I would never go back to church. And I said to her, well, what if, there was a, what if there was a place where people didn't turn their backs on you? What if there was a place where you could be loved unconditionally? She said, well, I'd, I'd probably think about trying it, but I don't think there's a church around like that. And at that point, we didn't exist. And I said, but I, I sure hope there will be a church like that shortly. And I, and I think there is. I think there will be. You wonder what would happen if a church really grabbed this sort of koinonia. You wonder what would happen if God came down and the Holy Spirit unified a place like this. Actually, you don't have to wonder. There was a church just like ours in Acts where this happened. In Acts 22, or Acts 2, 44 through 47, it says this about the young church in Jerusalem. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think that's the power of, of fellowship. These people would, saw this community where they were practicing this, this true koinonia, and they got excited about the, the care and the, the genuine warmth that was shown there, and they, they said, I want that. 
And so daily people were discovering a relationship with Jesus Christ. Daily people were, were coming to this community and entering in and, and experiencing genuine care and love. And daily people were being added to that church. That's not coffee and donuts fellowship. That's God's type of fellowship. That's the power. It has a magnetism. I mean, for Pete's sake, men are going out into the woods and banging on drums and bungee jumping all for the sake of bonding. I'll tell you what bonding is. (laughs) It's a weak imitation of what they could be finding if God comes down in our community and we have koinonia here. People are hungry and they're thirsting for those kinds of relationships. It is a wonderful thing, but it doesn't just happen. Just like the Holy Spirit can enter into our worship and transform songs and sing-alongs into powerful worship times, it's the Holy Spirit that needs to come into our human relationships and transform you know, human camaraderie and warm fuzzies into, into a God type of relationship where there's redemptive transformation, where we're building up one another, where there, it's always unconditional love, where there's dynamic caring, things that we wouldn't be able to do on our own as human beings. The other thing that, that the Holy Spirit does is it enables us to live, He enables us to live in the light together. Greg talked about this last week of, of, of the tendency in churches to be perfect, to pretend that we're something that we're not. And if we have sin, if we have pain, we just stuff it inside. And as long as we stuff it inside, it just eats away at us. It eats away at us and, and, and the wounds never can be healed. And I don't know about you, but I have been in small group situations where it's one big experiment in stuffing. Everyone comes every week, and everyone is perfect, and every family is great, and you read your little scripture, and you go through your little ditties, and then you all go home, and that was your, that was your caring fellowship group. No, it wasn't. It was just everybody pretending to be maybe more pious than they were. And pastors are the worst. If you go to a pastor's conference... Every church is growing. Every church is dynamic. Every church has perfect people. <laughs> you know. And there's a lot of pastors that are wounded when they get there and they're wounded when they leave. But when the Holy Spirit comes down, when the Holy Spirit bonds us together, when there is that true koinonia, we can share. We don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to hide because we know that when we share, we are going to be met with unconditional love. Isn't that what we're worried about? If people really know me, they're going to judge me and they're going to turn their backs on me. But when there's genuine care and supernatural love and supernatural warmth, we don't have to worry about that. And we can say, please help me in this area. I'm really struggling. Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable? You know, we can depend on one another. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to, to Koinonia. Through God's Spirit, we can also speak the truth in love. We can, we can, we can deal uh, real with issues. We can not be indifferent to sin, but what the Holy Spirit allows us to do is when we, when we see sin, and we, we can deal with it in a grace-filled manner. Because as long as sin is there, there, there are wounds there. But as people overcome it through the power of the Spirit, then they find healing and wholeness. I believe if we experience true koinonia, this place will become a magnet because people are longing for those kinds of loving, caring relationships. We do have one small problem, though. Uh, Actually, it's not a small problem. It's a big problem. God has blessed us with too many people. Right? I mean, how are we going to build intimate relationships with 400 people? It's a very difficult thing to do. In fact, psychologists say you can get to know about 40 people really well, 
And if you want to build strong, intimate relationships, you can only do that with about 12 people. I find it interesting that, that Jesus spent most of his time building relationships with a group of 12. He'd already read the psychologist reports, obviously, and, and uh, knew what was going on. But, but what do you hear from people? As soon as the church gets big, what do they say? I don't feel connected. I feel lost. I feel like just a face in the crowd. I don't, and there's not that coin in air there. Well, that Jerusalem church that we looked at earlier, that young church, had a little growth problem of its own. And I knew that they had tremendous growth, and I also knew that they had tremendous fellowship. They grew, in 25 years, they grew from 120 people to between 80 and 120,000 people. That, that church led about uh, half of Jerusalem to the Lord in 25 years. And I, I just thought, wouldn't it be great on our 25th anniversary as we're getting together in our fellowship hall? Uh, wouldn't it be great if, if we could say, boy, God has used us to reach half of the Twin Cities? Probably be St. Paul because Minneapolis is really in trouble. But no. But, but this church had seen tremendous growth. Tremendous growth, but they had tremendous fellowship. And so here's how they did it. They had two types of meetings. And they had two locations. We read in those, that second chapter of Acts that they had some meetings in the temple courts and they had some meetings in homes. Now the temple courts there could accommodate about 50,000 people. So they probably went to double services and plenty of room for camel parking and things like that. But what they did, what they did at the temples was they celebrated. They celebrated, they worshipped together, they, they, they had teaching, but the, the most of it was celebration and worship. There is something exciting about celebrating with a large group of people. Large groups are good for that sort of a thing. I don't know, you know, singing with 400 people is different than if you were asked to sing with six people. You know, it's a little harder to do that. It's a little bit more uncomfortable. I also think that in a large group setting, it's exciting to be a part of something significant, to be able to look around and say, boy, I am not the only one in this battle. I have these brothers and sisters with me. So large group settings are great for some things. But what that Jerusalem church knew was that large group settings aren't great for all things. One of them is fellowship. You know, face it, you walk in, you sit down, you look at the back of someone's head for an hour. That's a way to build a meaningful relationship. Try that this Thanksgiving. You know, when the family comes over, line up the chairs and sit there. That'll, uh, that'll take care of the fellowship right away. So what they did was they, they were very wise. I think God was very wise. And so what they did was they did their fellowship things in homes. That's where the caring, that's where the sharing, that's where the, the eating together and, and the praying for one another took place. We're in those home ministries. So their strategy was the temple courts, large meetings for celebration. Homes, small groups, that was the time to really build fellowship with one another. The strategy worked well for the Jerusalem church and that's the strategy that I believe God is leading us to at Woodland Hills. It's part of our vision to gather together on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights and Sunday mornings eventually to worship and praise God and to celebrate Him together. We think that that is a very important part of our church. But many of you have already said there's more to church than Sunday morning. And we believe that. We don't want to just be an event. We want to be a body, a family. And so in order to make that fellowship take place, we want to have small group meetings in homes. 
I want to take the last few minutes just to explain our small group ministry, just in case you're not, uh, um, you haven't heard about small groups before, just to let you know where we are and where we are in the process, because I really think this is going to be a powerful part of our church. A small group is an intentional, people sign up, they want to be a part of a small group, an intentional face-to-face meeting of between 3 to 12 people. They meet on a regular basis, maybe it's once a month, once a week, once every other week, but they meet on a regular basis with the common purpose of discovering and growing in the possibilities of the abundant life in Christ. They grow together, to, they, they meet together to pray and to share and to encourage one another to study God's word and to pray. That's what small groups are all about. If you've never been a part of a small group, I think you'll find a few things that are, that are exciting about them. One of them is I think you have better Bible study in a small group setting. On a Sunday morning, how many times can you go, Greg, I don't agree with that, sorry, no, no, I'm sorry. But in a, in a, in a Bible study in a home, you can, you can uh, interact, you can share from your own experiences, you can say, yeah, that's how that passage affected my life, and, and it, the Bible study is a lot better. The same with uh, prayer. It's one thing to read requests off of a page and pray for them. It's another thing to be holding someone's hands and, and to know the struggles that they're going through and to, to, to pray for them, knowing the person, and to be able to follow up with them. And how's it going? And did you get that job yet? And, and after eight or nine months of, of praying for someone to find a job, they find one, and, and then you rejoice together. That's real. That's, that's powerful stuff. And that's what happens in small groups. Another thing that you'll notice is that you can handle the stress of life better. You'll be able to do what I did this week. When, you, when you're down, when you're in trouble, you know that there's at least 8 to 10 other people that you can call, that you can rely on, that you can ask for prayer from, and you know you're never, you're never alone. The other thing that you'll find is that your relationships will be very strong. Uh, I've been in a small group for 12 years with two other pastors. Even when I moved to Cincinnati and another one of them moved to New Mexico for four or five years, we still met over the phone because we had such a bond built between each other. And now we're all back in the Twin Cities, so it's great to be able to get together and to, to share in those friendships. But a lot of times what I hear is people say, yeah, I miss the church that we used to go to, but what I really miss is my small group because that's where the relationships were built. Well, where do we go from here? What's our status right now? Gary Strumpfer, you understand, Gary? He is heading up our small group ministries. And Gary and I have been overwhelmed at the number of you that would like to be a part of a small group. There are over 100 people already that say, yes, I'd like, I'd like information. I want to be a part of a small group. Our problem is we don't have enough leaders right now. And so we really wrestled with, well, do we just start groups before we have leaders? Or do we train leaders and then start the groups? And I've just noticed in the past that, that a good leader can really, really help a group. And if a leader is not gifted in the area of leadership, uh, it can really hurt the group in some ways. And so what we've decided to do is to take the next three months, December, January, and February, to train leaders in small group ministry, to train people in, in uh, lay counseling and, and, and prepare them to lead a small group ministry. And then at the end of the three months, we'll offer small groups of all sorts, shapes, sizes, meet on different days and times and meet around different, uh, might be a a craft small group that meets, and it might be a Bible study small group that meets. But we'll offer those in March, and, uh, and then you can participate in them. If you need to be in a small group experience before then, 
talk to Gary because we think we can handle that too. We'll set up some temporary groups from now until, until March. But we really feel if we get the leadership, if we train the leaders in now, that's going to lead to healthier groups in the future. So again, if you would just be patient with us on, on this part of it, we really want to get the leaders trained in uh, properly. The beauty of small groups is that no matter how big this church gets during our celebrations, that we can just keep subdividing down into small groups. And so that everybody can feel connected. Nobody has to feel lost. And I hope God blesses us and keeps blessing us. And I hope we grow. And I hope daily he is adding to our number those that are being saved. I really pray that he does. But I also don't want anybody to feel lost. I don't want anyone to feel like no one knows me. No one cares about me. And that's where the small group ministry comes in. And so I encourage all of you, as they are offered, to to join and, and to be a part of a small group fellowship. Because it's going to be a powerful time for us. No doubt we'll face a lot of problems. We'll have to go through personality conflicts. But if God's koinonia is here, that means that we'll deal with those issues with unconditional love and in a grace-filled way. And I think that will be exciting and will breathe life into our church. It's more than coffee and donuts. It's more than potlucks. God has given us his son. God has given us each other. He's drawn us together, and I'm praying with the Holy Spirit. We have so many people from so many backgrounds and so many denominations and so many talents and gifts and abilities. I think it's going to be a beautiful thing to see God weave that all together into something beautiful, a family, a body, a holy temple where God resides. Koinonia, being Jesus to one another. That is a powerful, powerful thing, and it will be a powerful tool in advancing God's kingdom. So let's pray together that God would just draw us together as a body. You're a great family to be a part of. Let's pray. As we pray today, let's stand. Why don't we grab the, the hand of someone next to you and let's, let's just pray for our church. Lord, you've called us to the battle. You've called us to take enemy ground back. There's a lot of wounded soldiers here, Lord. There's a lot of people that need your strength and your encouragement and your comfort. And I just praise you that in your wisdom you have not only given us your son, but you have given us this family. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in miraculous ways and will begin the process of binding us together as a family, as a body, And I pray that we will see each part of that body as a significant member of this church. Oh, Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you are the head of the church. But we are your body. Bind us together in your love. And enable us to do great things for you. We'll give you all of the glory and all of the honor. You're a great God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.